0: .NET Rocks episode 909 with guest Rob Eisenberg recorded live Friday September 6th, 2013 This episode is brought to you by Telerik offering the best in developer tools and support online at telerik.com and by Windows Azure who wants you as an MSDN subscriber to activate your free Windows Azure credits and start building your own dev test environment in the cloud. Activate before September 30th for a chance to win a 2013 Aston Martin V8 Vantage sports car. Go to .netrocks.com slash Azure to enter and win. And now, here are Carl and Richard.
1: Thank you very much and welcome back to .net Rocks. It's Carl and Richard. What's up, buddy? You know, I keep going on
0: like crazy. I got nothing to complain about. It's nice to be home for a couple of weeks cuz the fall, the fall, my friend, is completely mad.
1: It is completely mad. I'm I'm enjoying uh album sales of yes. been a while. My new CD with the great John Schofield on that yeah, track. Yeah,
0: that's awesome, too. And what a nice man. I really enjoy. Yeah, him. Yeah,
1: great guy. So that's available at carlfranklin.com, and there's links to iTunes and Amazon. And all my fans better go get a copy right now. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's if, what you say. If saying. you're a real fan. No, no, the real fans actually leave a five-star review on Amazon right? Oh, there you so, go. Yeah. So, uh, yes, we have a very, very busy fall schedule. Yeah. In
0: fact, this week, the week that this show is published, September 24th, we're in the UK yep. on a little uh, .NET Rocks tour with the Norwegian Developers Conference, which admittedly is called the Norwegian Developers Conference, but they're actually doing their conference in London yep. first week of December. Right. Go so to ndclondon.com. So,
1: we're banging the drum for ndclondon.com. Yes, but also getting a chance to see all of our friends and
0: fans in the uh england well some of them anyway because we only get to do three stops there was only so much time in the summer
1: Then we're going to dev reach bulgaria
0: yes this is first week of october over in in sofia gonna be fantastic as always yeah a great great show It's grown so much over the years Mm -hmm. and then ireland ireland who knew who knew we get to drink whiskey for a week there you go so a little dublin a little cork a little belfast all good yep and then uh then we get to go home finally
1: well, I'm going home. You're going to Romania, right? Yeah,
0: I've got another gig I got to do. But then I'll get a week at home and then it's Dev Intersection. Right. Last week of October.
1: And then we're starting some stupid road trip, aren't we? Well,
0: yeah. Well, actually before that, I think uh, you know, there's there's still Ordev to go as well. All right, we're going to Ordev. First week of November in Sweden. Is that and, is that for
1: sure now? Uh
0: yeah, for sure is an interesting word, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> well, we're still we're still working on that. Yeah, I think it'll be in the can by then. Okay.
1: Well, we hope we're going to our dev.
0: Yeah. And then, then another road trip. Another road trip. Twenty cities. Twenty cities scattered. We can't do them all at once because you know driving an RV in the snow isn't smart. It's bad. So, we're going to do in, in different pieces. So, East Coast first in November, uh, Central Region in December, and then West Coast in January. Oh, boy. That ought to make for some interesting shows next year. I'm really looking forward to it. All I think to right, be a well, lot of fun. And it's, you know, I hate to say it, but I like being on the road with you. I don't know how fun. that happened.
1: I don't know either. <laughs> 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 All right. Let's get busy. Better know framework. Awesome. All right, buddy. What do you got? Well, this is probably old news, but yesterday from this recording, recording this on the 6th, and this came out on the 5th, uh, Google announced desktop Chrome apps. Oh, really? Yeah. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash desktop Chrome, so they have a new generation of Chrome apps, and they're the, the For Your Desktop collection. They have a new desktop installer, Chrome app launcher. It works in Windows and with Chromebooks so in their own operating system as well. Nice. And these are essentially desktop apps. They, That's they, cool. Here's, here's the checklist. Uh, work offline. Uh, connect to the cloud. Stay up to speed. Play nice with your connected devices. Keep updated automatically. Pick up where you left off. Does the syncing. And uh, launch apps directly from your desktop. So they're they're going after the, the Windows thing.
0: Here comes. Here it comes. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I'll have to do a show around some of the development around that. I've been watching it for a while. Sure. Trying to see who's the right guy to talk to, to talk about doing that.
1: And it's interesting. They have a couple of apps that they've uh, launched with it. Uh, Pixlr TouchUp lets you quickly touch up, crop, resize, and adjust photos from your computer or Google Drive. And then wonder List, a simple and beautiful to-do list, voice dictation, desktop notifications, yada, yada. Nice. So there you go. And then there's a couple of their games and stuff. Cool. Yeah. So there you go. That's at uh, tinyurl.com slash desktopchrome. Beautiful. Have fun. Let us know what you think. Richard is talking to us. So I grabbed a comment off
0: of show 878, and that's the show we did with James Kovacs talking about programming JavaScript functionally. Yeah. And this comment comes from Sid Childers, who says, uh, great show as always, guys. I've added underscore.js, one of the many libraries we talked about with uh, James, To my list of libraries to review, given the proliferation of JavaScript frameworks and libraries, can you share a top five or top 10 list of those libraries that would be most useful and aid in the reinserting of a great user experience? My list would include Twitter Bootstrap, Kendo, Knockout, Durandal, and EXTJS. What was that last one? What's that? What was that last one? EXTJS or ExtendJS. Okay. Uh, and do you have any thoughts on this? And it, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this. The, the big one, and I think we even talked about it in this show, was which of these work together.
1: What tribe do you want to belong to? And how how long in the future will they continue to work together?
0: Well, I think that's the brilliant part about open source, right? It's just that if you don't like it, stick with the old one. Yeah. You know, we, the conversations these days, we're having more and more is about when do you stop updating to the latest version of the library and stick with the one you got so you can actually ship some software. Right. So, an interesting battle. And so, Sid, I'm with you. I'm uh, You know, we're always keeping an eye on these, these library suites, this set of approaches to building software. Uh, and we'll do shows around that. And uh, this one might even be a little like that, too. I'm sure Rob has some opinions on it. Oh, so. he sure does. Sid, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Android, iOS, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those fine apps were built by the folks at Diatom Enterprises who'd like to build you an app. Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com.
1: And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by industry experts. They release over 40 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let us introduce Rob Eisenberg. Rob is a JavaScript and .NET developer working out of Tallahassee, Florida, and he's the president of Blue Spire Consulting. Rob got his start with computer programming at the age of nine, when he thoroughly fell in love with his family's new Commodore 64. His fascination with programming started with a Commodore basic language, then moved to QBasic and QuickBasic, and continued quickly on to C, C++, C Sharp, and JavaScript. Rob publishes technical articles regularly at devlicio.us, D-E-V-L-I-C-I-O.us, and has spoken at regional events and to companies concerning web and .NET technologies, agile software practices, and UI engineering. He is co-author of Sam's Teach Yourself WPF in 24 Hours, and is the architect and lead developer of the Durandal and Caliburn Micro Frameworks. Welcome back,
2: Rob. Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Well, last time we talked, we were talking about Caliburn, Caliburn Micro. And uh, you're always building stuff that people want.
2: That's, uh, that's the idea. <laughs> yeah.
1: Durandal, durandaljs.com. This is uh, good stuff. Give us the elevator pitch.
2: So Durandal.js is all about building uh, rich clients with JavaScript, be it uh, clients running in the browser or running on phones or tablets or actually running on desktop. I mean, you mentioned the new Chrome desktop apps, uh, and I've actually got some apps I've built uh, for desktop with Durandal and uh, some client or, or other users have been building for desktop as well. Um, so basically, it's the idea of, Give me sort of a, a base level framework that I can use to build any, a client for any platform. Uh, and let's do it with HTML and JavaScript and CSS.
0: Now, I'm still wrestling with the single page app thing. We keep talking about this, but, you know, walk me through it. Why is this a good idea?
2: Well, single page apps uh, are about user experience a lot. It's really about thinking of the browser as a virtual machine and thinking of a web app as a desktop app. So you can imagine um, very much like the .NET virtual machine and and XAML runtimes, here we basically have the the browser as a virtual machine with an HTML and JavaScript runtime. So the single-page apps are really about uh, creating a very rich desktop-like or native-like experience that runs in the browser. So Uh, you know, basically never a a page refresh at all. Right. Um, lots of, uh, using Ajax, but using it essentially for data. Um, uh, much like if you were writing a XAML app, perhaps you would, uh, you would call a web API to get back JSON data. Um, so actually uh, if you've built any kind of rich client or, or anything in, in that space, Conceptually, it's the same thing. It just If you just kind of have to squint your eyes and tilt your head a little bit, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's there. I mean, you've got a declarative markup language, you've got um, a styling language, you've got um, JavaScript, which you can build your behaviors with, and you're calling out to the server asynchronously to get data, um, but you're just... Uh, as opposed to like Ajax apps, you know, where you would basically bring back a fragment of a UI and replace it. or uh, Basically, this is sort of the evolution of that. As you keep going with that, things get more and more dynamic. You want more fluid and seamless interactions for users. Uh, and so eventually what you wind up with is a model that's very much like a desktop app, but it's living in the browser. Um,
1: so, and and I, s- I see right on the front page it says you're not out to rewrite all of the libraries that exist out there now. In fact, you're using jQuery, Knockout, and RequireJS. So, you're this is all based on stuff we know. What do you, what does Durandal bring to the table? I'm 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 guessing that you're sort of making a higher level abstraction of all this stuff.
2: So there's a there's a little bit of an abstraction, but it tries not to do too much of that. One of the things it does is it it takes these three frameworks and it puts them together in a very particular way, right? So we use jQuery for the basics uh, of the DOM abstraction and eventing and selectors. Knockout provides the data binding and RequireJS provides the modularization. So you could take these three pieces and use them without Durandal, but you're going to write some infrastructure. You're going to have to write some infrastructure to basically put those things together to get more of an application building experience. Hmm. So Durandal basically does that for you. And then it layers on top, you know, some richer functionality. So um, Durandal is really all about two core concepts that you'll find everywhere. And it's modularization and composition. They they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea of you know, just like what we've been doing on the desktop for years, when we have a complex user interface, we want to break it down into small pieces. And it should right. be easy to break it down into small pieces. And we should be easy to separate your logic from your view. Right. Uh, and it should be easy. And that's all the modularization part. But then it should also be easy to compose all those pieces together. Um, and so that's the compositional part. And um, it's very... Um, data uh, data binding driven mm-hmm. very declarative um, you're not going to you're going to write very little jQuery code actually mm-hmm. in a Durandal app you're going to do a lot more declarative um, things through data binding and whatnot mm-hmm. and we extend knockouts data binding with some new features that let you do composition um, and if you're coming from a XAML world or if you've used caliber micro before uh, you can do all that same type of compositional stuff in Durandal, and you can actually do even more than you you can with those technologies. Um So, so, so it,
1: what would be what would be the difference? I mean, what if I if I open up Durandal and I start poking around in the docs? You know, where where am I going to see the difference between that and say Caliburn?
2: Uh, well, you're going to see a lot of uh, similarities because, in, in a sense, I when I first started working on Durandal. Um it actually, I think it was 2010, I gave a mixed talk on build your own MVVM framework, yeah. which was based on Caliburn. And out of that talk came Caliburn Micro because right. people were very, very interested in this small little thing I built for the talk. And they said, well, can you just you know, do a little bit more and maybe actually frameworkize this small thing? And mm-hmm. so I did that. But actually... Leaving that presentation, I was uh, talking with Glenn Block, and I was talking with um, a couple other guys uh, that were there at the presentation. And we actually started talking about, wouldn't it be cool if um, these we could do this in HTML?
0: Hmm, right. Uh,
2: and so, actually, it wasn't too long after that presentation that I started dinking around with uh, with some of these concepts. So, so Durandal conceptually. Um, has the same heritage as, as a Calibre Micro. So if you're coming from uh, a XAML world or if you're coming from using Calibre Micro... It's going to feel um, right at home. Yeah, there, there's nothing really to, new to learn, uh, conceptually speaking. Great. Um, you you use view models and views and data binding and um, you use some of the same compositional stuff that was in Calibre Micro you use uh, in Durandal. There's, uh, we have... Um, I've built a, a widget layer on top of this, and mm-hmm. widgets are skinnable and templatable, so you can have uh, replaceable parts in widgets. And um, you know, there's uh, you know, there's the, the same kind of concepts of having um, selecting a different view based off of which model it is, like uh, view selectors, template selectors, um, all those kinds of things are present in in Durandal. And very mm-hmm. much came out of a lot of the experience and lessons that. I think the community learned a lot in working with XAML because XAML is now about seven years old. Right. Um, I mean, it was in, since it was released. I mean, it was right. in development uh, before that and, uh, and be- open betas and things. And so the community really gained a lot of experience building apps over these last seven years. Hmm. And, um, you know, the the JavaScript world is a little bit, Younger in the sense of building these types of rich apps. Um, So I didn't want to lose... We wanted to translate the lessons that were learned over, and we didn't want to lose some of the the concepts that we had come to establish and understand that made things like maintenance easier, um, that made apps quicker to build and more testable. So conceptually, all those things basically translated over Durandal, but it was reimagined... So that it lived in a JavaScript world. So it doesn't, it's not designed to uh, look like, to be a caliber micro port. All right. It's, it, it should, it's designed to look and feel and act like JavaScript. The APIs are, are different, but the concepts are there. And I,
1: Um, I see you have a Visual Studio project template too. So if you're using MVC, you know, with all these tools by yourself, it should be pretty, pretty easy to get going.
2: Yeah, the way I recommend it is uh, just grab the the Visix and install it. And then you can say, you know, file new MVC for project. And then you'll get that secondary dialog where you get to pick mm. the specific project type. And you'll see... Uh, that there's a Durandal project type. Wow. You select that, and then you basically have a runnable app right there with a navigation structure set up and two different pages and animations between them and um, some basic other features that are demonstrated, how to do message boxes and modal dialogues. Uh, So it's a very small bit of code in there, but it shows you it uh, gives you a basic structure for a typical navigation style app, which is what a lot of people are building. And then it demonstrates a few different features: asynchronous data loading, and like I said, the modals and all those all those kinds of things. And if you're not into the vizix, we actually have a NuGet pack, a couple of NuGet packages. There's the raw Durandal NuGet package, which is just the libraries. But then there's also a Durandal Starter Kit NuGet, which is essentially the same contents of the vizix file. So if you install that, you'll end up with a runnable. A runnable app immediately as well. And then you can just basically start going in there and creating your own pages. And, um, you know, one of the things that we took from Calibre Micro is some of the convention based approach. And we didn't take it as far as Calibre Micro because I, I didn't feel at this point there was actually uh, as much of a need for it. Data binding was actually very tedious in XAML, uh, there was a lot you just had to type, um, but hmm. uh, it's a little bit less so in HTML. And so uh, but we did take the notion of the convention-based view and view model wire up. Right. Wire up. So in Durandal, you can literally just drop a JS file. You build it as a module using require.js. Um, we can talk more about that in a minute if you want. And then you build. Then you create an HTML file that's the view for that module. And then you just map it with the router. You say this route pattern maps to this module, and you're done. And uh, and it. It gets composed into the screen. You can animate between it. Um, and then you can build more and more complex things so that you can compose that page. You can break down into smaller parts. And those can each be modules with their own views completely encapsulated. Mm. You can compose those pieces in. You know, If you get more advanced things, you could build widgets. You know, If you have some sort of grid-type UI that you want to use over and over again, you could mm. build that as a widget. And it could be templatable because um, you could do things constructed in such a way that you could create row templates or cell templates or mm. header templates. Um, and all that is built on top of the core composition infrastructure. So one of the cool things is mm. the way you build a uh, just a component on the screen is the same way that you build a modal dialog, is the same way that you build a widget. It's all built on this core composition infrastructure. So once you understand the, the couple of core concepts involved, there's almost nothing new to learn. Um, so is
1: anybody working on the complete XAML stack in, in JavaScript? <laughs> uh,
2: not that I know of, and uh, uh, it's not, not something I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah. But,
1: uh, <laughs> Let's, um, yeah, I, I don't think that
0: behavior you want to encourage. Yeah, no, no, no.
2: No. Uh, uh, interesting experience with Durandal, just reflecting on that versus Calibre Micro. I was really surprised how easy it was to do certain things as I was building this library about three times before the version that is actually released now mm. um, and taking different approaches and doing lots of experimentation. And in the end, it was actually amazing how simple it was to, to get certain things to work and how much more powerful I could even make it than in the XAML world because HTML and JavaScript are so malleable. Yeah. I mean, you could see that as a good thing or a bad thing, but in this case, in terms of building a framework, um, it w- it was very, very useful and I was able to accomplish um, you know, some pretty neat things. Okay,
1: so I want to dive into something a little technical here. Uh, you use require.js, and some of our listeners might know about that, and specifically about their use of asynchronous module definition, AMD API, and something that you rely upon and use. So can we talk about that just a little bit? What is it, and, and why why is that a good thing?
2: Sure. Um, when I first started thinking about building Durandal, uh, the f- I wanted to solve... Uh, I had a kind of a, a collection of problems with building large-scale apps in JavaScript that were in my head, and one of them was the issue of modularity because, I mean, as you and probably most of our, our listeners know, there is nothing in the language uh, that is built in as a, you know, in terms of modules at mm-hmm. this point. And there's right. some things coming in future versions, but right now there's, um, there's no language support for modules. And patterns have evolved in the community over time, um, to to try and encapsulate and do different things like that. And so one of the first things I, I, I realized when I was going to build Durandal was I have to have a standard way of, of building modules. And I was thinking at first I would have to build it myself, but I, I did a bunch of research. And as I did these different prototypes, I tried different libraries. And one of the ones that I, I came across, across was RequireJS, which implements a community uh, standard, if you will, called AMD, that basically stands for asynchronous module definition. And, and it's, a, it's actually a relatively simple API on the surface. It has basically um, one or two global functions. And the main one that you need to know about is define. And you call define and you pass it a function. And whatever you return from that function, that is your module. Uh, And it does dependency tracking. So your modules, when you define something, you can declare dependencies on other modules using uh, absolute or relative paths. Um, And so those are the two kind of issues. Like we needed um, encapsulation, but we also needed uh, declarative dependencies. And And the AMD spec does that. And it does it, and another keyword is asynchronous, right? So. Mm If you have a module that declares I'm dependent on X, Y, and Z, and the X, Y, and Z is not yet loaded in the browser, then it will asynchronously download those, evaluate them, and then once it's evaluated them, supply them to the module that requested those dependencies. And so you don't have to worry about script ordering. Um, You just declare your dependencies very much like you can think of it like a the C# using or VB right. uh, import mixed with a little bit of an IOC container because yeah. javascript again is so malleable your module could be a function that creates instances or it could be an object representing a singleton or it could be an array of objects or because your module can be basically any any javascript object so you uh, so. you
1: you have the the comp the composability of that with namespaces and with with modules objects so that they're all sort of the same
2: right and uh and the, and that key the key feature of declarative dependencies mm. and and it all being asynchronous so that it can it can load those dependencies all in the right order and shuffle everything through mm. appropriately so okay. i decided to build on top of that and you know aside from the features that we mentioned there's there's some others around RequireJS. It's it's a very mature library. It's been around a while. There's a big community. It's been used on a lot of projects. Very big projects. It's a very flexible library. There's you can write plugins for it, um, and it has an optimizer as well. So you can basically say, well, I built my app and it's 200 modules, but I can't deploy it like that because right. I don't need I don't want 200 HTTP requests to load my app up. So it has an optimizer that basically uh, you give it a little bit of a config, like a build file, if you will, and it will take it and it will optimize it all down into a single file or any number of files, uh, however you want to define it. So if you've got a large app and you want to load your app shell in first and then you want to break your app down by features, like you know, here's the admin features and here's my standard user's features, you can optimize that and say, three different files mm-hmm. and, uh, and then uh, have it load... Uh, appropriately based off of usage or based off of the user that's logged in, and so you get a lot of really nice benefits like that by building on top of it. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's kind of uh, it's it's kind of the best that we have right now until the language support happens. So to create a
1: module in Durandal, let's say something that's going to be your your model, mm-hmm. right? You'd create a a JS file, right? Yep. And then is it pretty simple just to define a module?
2: Yeah, you just say define, open prens, and then you'd uh, say function, you know, and you write a function, and then you, whatever you return from that function becomes your model.
1: Okay, uh, so, so, so inside that you could have other functions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. that's all encapsulated, uh, and that's using the standard sort of trick of function scope, uh, using a function to scope things. Right. But it, but it's built this little bit of infrastructure around it that allows for the asynchronous uh, aspect and the, uh, you know, the dependency tracking and all that. Uh, so it's an evolution kind of of what pattern that a lot of JavaScript developers were using with the, you know, immediately executed functions mm. and things like that for scoping. So it's just a little bit nicer and takes care of some of the other problems. And because of that, there's you know there's tooling and there's a big community and plugins and really some cool stuff. I mean, people are doing things like writing modules in CoffeeScript and using a CoffeeScript plugin to compile on the fly the modules um, because again your source code is all going through um, you know RequireJS. Um, so that's not really a great practice for production. But the cool thing about some of these loader plugins is that. They're designed to be run in the browser and on the server. So when you run the optimizer, it, it executes all that code that it would have done asynchronously in the browser as part of the build process so that it doesn't actually run when you deploy anymore. Um, so uh, very, very cool things.
1: So then creating like a, a something that depends on that, how would you, how would you do that? So another, yeah,
2: yeah, it all depends on how dynamic your app is and whether it needs to do dynamic loading of this, that, and the other thing. But um, you know, for example, one of the, let me give you a concrete scenario from Durandal itself. The way we load views um, is using a RequireJS plugin actually that is called TextJS, and what it does is. All, all it really does is make an HTTP request to get a file, and then return the contents of that, uh, you know, of that resource as text. And then we assume it's HTML, and we parse it, and we turn it into a DOM fragment, and we display it. Hmm. But it's a text plugin that plugs into RequireJS. And the great thing about it is that when you are developing your application, the text plugin of particular version of it runs in the browser and does that dynamic downloading and returning of the text. Yeah. But if you run the Required.js optimizer before you deploy to production, that text plugin runs during the build process and it grabs the file contents and embeds them in that single file output so that at runtime, it no longer needs to make the HTTP request to get that data. It just returns a string basically. But you can write these plugins to do it. Anything, pretty much, and if you want them to run as part of the build process, you kind of opt into that aspect of their API, hmm. and that way you can have a nice developer experience and a nice uh, production experience. And it turns out that's actually really beneficial because you can write your app, um, at, you know, and there's all these asynchronous bits happening, and you don't. It doesn't change the way that your code is written when you go to build. And it's not asynchronous anymore, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that turns out to be really, really nice. And there's awesome. a lot of just really powerful stuff from that library. I mean, I picked jQuery Knockout and RequireJS very, very strategically because they were all extremely mature, you know, pretty well known, had uh, good communities around them, and solved typically solved one problem very, very well. Um, mm. And it turns out that makes writing a framework like Durandal a lot easier. And people are also more interested to adopt it, it seems, because they're coming to the table already knowing something. They may not know all three of those pieces, but so many people have used jQuery or something like it that there's really almost nothing to learn uh, if you've done some kind of web programming you know, about that aspect. So you just learn a little bit of data binding. A lot of people have used jQuery and Knockout, especially in... Mm. You know, in the .NET community, a lot of people have used those two libraries together. Mm-hmm. So then, it's just a matter of um, you know learning how to build modules and learning a little bit of Durandal's APIs, and and then you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And one cool thing is, I got contacted. I've been contacted by several people that said, "Hey, we just found Durandal, and it was really, really, really similar to something that we built internally." Mm. Um, and we it only took us one day to convert over from our internal infrastructure to Durandal <laughs> um, awesome. but they were really happy to do do so because um, you know obviously then they didn't have to maintain that part of their uh, their infrastructure and because you know Durandal handles you know some more edge cases and maybe has some more features uh, that they didn't have time to build or or handles things maybe in a more flexible way or whatever. Hey,
1: Richard, you know what time it is? Uh, It must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to plug in, turn on, and code out. (laughs) Timothy Leary, come on. Little
0: Tim Leary. Yeah, uh, there's a flashback for you. I thought he invented a color.
1: (laughs) He probably did. Here's the color. Wow, man. (laughs) 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 There's a Pantone number there, I think. There's a, yeah, there's
0: a website called gullible.info uh, yeah. that actually creates lies to show how they propagate onto the internet. Awesome. And one of the ones they put in was that Timothy Leary invented a new color and it actually showed up at one point <laughs> in Timothy Leary's like Wikipedia entry That's- and then got picked up by news stories. You know, somebody was referring to Timothy Leary at something and they mentioned, oh, and he invented a color. And it's like, <laughs> it's fake. You people need to check
2: your facts. <laughs>
1: Yeah, invented color. Okay. All good. Well, it's really time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Awesome. But before I tell you who the winner is, I need to tell you that Kendo UI from Telerik is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. And now Kendo UI comes with server-side wrappers for ASP.NET MVC. Of course, you'll be able to produce awesome HTML5 apps powered by Kendo UI without being forced to write that pesky JavaScript. Nice. Simply program on the server and the Kendo UI wrappers will handle the HTML and JavaScript. You'll have fun and your boss will be amazed. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com slash D-O-T-N-E-T to find out more about Kendo UI or download the free 30-day trial with full support. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks. Awesome. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner of the DevCraft Complete Collection is Domas Lasaukas. Congratulations. Good Jewish name. Clappers. Yes. And uh, that is everything that Telerik does in one box. And we are also giving away a Been A While CD. Oh, yeah. It's my album with John Schofield on it, of course. Cool. And uh, the winner of that is Paul Garwood.
0: Congratulations, Paul.
1: Yay. Off clap for Paul. Sorry. We should
0: also mention the MSDN Azure sweepstakes.
1: Yes, except Microsoft Azure team is giving away an Aston Martin.
0: It's very, very pretty. And all you got to do to be entered into the sweepstakes is to activate the Azure part of your MSDN subscription. So yeah, you've got it. an MSDN subscription. And every month, you get credits towards using Azure. If you have an MSDN Universal, the big one, it's $150 a month. That's a lot. Which is a lot of Azure time. So... If by September 30th, you go to .netrocks.com slash Azure, which will take you to the Azure website, put in your credentials, and activate your MSDN subscription for Azure, you will be entered into sweepstakes, and it ends on September 30th, so you're almost out of time. Hurry up. And you can win, not the remote control car, not a little toil car, the actual car.
1: Yep, .netrocks.com slash Azure. Well, anyway, if you don't know what we're talking about with the, all these giveaways, go to .netrocks.com and click on the big Get Free Stuff button. Join the fan club, and uh, you could win. Uh, we give away a Telerik Devcraft Complete Collection in every show. Every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology, and we'd like to ask our guests, Rob, if you had five grand to spend on technology, what would you buy?
2: I honestly, I'd probably go nuts on Kickstarter. Have you checked out some oh. of the technology? Oh yeah. Stuff?
0: <laughs> we go nuts on Kickstarter and Indiegogo all the time. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, man. There's it's virtual a- reality stuff. There's robotics stuff. There's disease. mobile. I'm, oh man, it's. Uh, yeah, I have a Kickstarter problem. I think <laughs> I'm. I'm doing better these days, but uh, yeah, that's where it would go, and it would go probably in one day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, what are your favorite projects right now? Let's call a couple out.
2: Gosh, um, did you check out the Oculus Rift? I, unfortunately, I missed that.
0: Yeah, Oculus Rift is almost a product now.
2: Yeah, it's 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 huge, and I'm a kind of a I'm a little bit of a game developer, so I use Unity. Uh, um, I'm doing some projects with that, and they've got support for Oculus Rift, and it was just like just wicked. Um I spend uh, actually I ended up I ended up spending uh doing a lot of backing of uh, video game related stuff. That's not specifically tech but um it's a no, That's it's, fair.
0: I I totally with you. It's neat. I uh what was the game I just backed? I mean, look that up. <laughs> I can't even remember what I backed anymore. Oh it's man, just, I'm it's so just glad. on
2: fire with the uh, with uh, video games, hardware, all these watches, I mean <laughs> I was, just, I was just peeking around, and I'm just amazed. It's pretty exciting, though. Uh, it's a great way. There's people running their whole business now on Kickstarter and stuff. Well,
0: yeah, because you're basically pre-selling the product. I remember now. Uh, do you remember a video game from the 90s called Neverhood? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Claymation. So, the guys who made Neverhood, for those who never heard of it, was a Claymation video game. So, they literally did stop-motion Claymation adventure game. Oh, wow. And the look and feel of it was unbelievable so organic so and the music's hilarious so the folks behind everhood for all the all those years ago are finally did a kickstarter to make a new game called Armacrog
2: yeah by back uh, that one. and it got funded <laughs> it- <laughs> yeah
0: so uh, I'm in there. I signed up for Armor Krog. I need some Armor Krog, so that's good. They made their threshold. They wanted. They need 900 grand. I mean, it's not cheap to build a video game, especially oh. a claymation video game where you actually have to make all of the the models and stuff. So and the video for it, which I you know, the cornerstone of Kickstarter is that video. The video yeah. for it is hilarious, just brilliantly done. I can't wait to play that game.
1: I think text adventure games are coming back. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in, in the whole process of going all the way to the view here. And what are the, the critical pieces? Because I know when we we talked about creating a module and you you know defined when in the function, and then you use the word require, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And then inside that or, or is require, when you say define paren, function paren, Whatever goes in there, that's the name of the function. Is that how it works?
2: Whatever you return from that function becomes the becomes the module itself. But
1: what do you pass in?
2: So basically, there's a couple of different syntax, uh, different styles. Mm-hmm. The um, sort of the raw way of doing it, the what's called the dependency array syntax, is before you pass your function to define uh, the first. Uh, argument you pass in is an array of, uh, of module IDs, which are basically relative paths. And if you do it that way, then the parameters to your function are the names that represent all the modules once they're resolved. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Uh, so the other way uh, you can do it, which is called the sugared syntax, is you leave off the dependency array, and instead in your function you give it one parameter called require. And the framework passes that in for you, and it's actually a function capable of requiring other modules. Right. Very much like... Uh, an object. Like, yeah. Mm. or It looks like, when you see the syntax, it looks like a, a using statement or an import statement or something like that. And then uh, what they do is they examine your module code and convert that into the dependency array syntax, basically by... Checking for all the require calls in your code, um, and I actually prefer that second syntax, what, the, what they call the sugared syntax, because it reads a little bit nicer and looks a little bit more like uh, as if it was built into the language. Mm. Now, speaking of that, though, one really cool thing is um, is ty- and TypeScript. If you're using TypeScript, you can set TypeScript to build AMD modules, so you can use the module. Uh, require and import language support from TypeScript, and when it builds, it will spit out the correct AMD module syntax. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that's just another advantage of being built on RequireJS and that AMD standard. Uh, with TypeScript supporting it, it's if you're using TypeScript is actually really, really nice because you just, like I said, you basically have language support for modularization, and when it when the compiler compiles it, it you can tell it i'm targeting amd and the right javascript is emitted and then you can use requirejs's optimizer build tool uh, on top of all those files so you don't lose any of the benefits at all of requirejs by doing it that way in fact you would gain some benefits i think you know yeah. uh, in terms of maintainability and things and
1: so like then that. to sort of get access to any of these modules you use the require syntax right so you can say var whatever equals require and then pass the name of the module
2: exactly and then you've got exactly.
1: then you've got it
2: that's all right that's how it works
1: all right so now in the view let's talk about how we how we do that
2: so the view is just an HTML fragment with data binding expressions and, okay. and the data binding expressions are just knockout just data knock binding. data binding and what happens is, uh, if you take a sort of an end-to-end, like a navigation app, let me mm. walk you through the workflow so you can just see how all the pieces come together. Yeah, cool. Say, for example, that you navigate to, you know, pound home. Well, when you configure Durandal in your application shell, you would set up a route config, very much like MVC, where yeah. you map route patterns to controllers. In Durandal, you map route patterns to modules. So what happens is when it recognizes that home route, it knows, okay, that is actually associated with this particular module ID. Mm. So then under the covers, we use require.js to require that module ourselves. And then this is where we basically, we pass it through sort of an activation lifecycle so you can do things like, Um, There's various callbacks you can have on your module. It's all optional, but if you need to execute asynchronous code before we show the screen or if you need to prevent a screen from showing or prevent navigating away from the previous screen, there's hooks for all that. But ultimately what happens is once we've got your module, we then use that little bit of convention to go determine what what view is associated with that module. And it's completely customizable, but out of the box, it's a super basic convention of basically name matching. So if you've got like uh, you know home.js, then we'll just look for home.html, and right. we'll use require again with the text plugin to pull in that HTML, parse it, turn it into a DOM uh, you know tree a document fragment, basically. Then once we've got our module instance and our uh, our DOM fragment, we'll then use Knockout to data bind those two together. So uh, then we'll end up with a, a bound uh, view, basically. And then we'll shove that into the DOM at the correct location in the document for you. So mm-hmm. we basically automate that whole process of connecting all of the pieces. And as part of that, we can also play animation. So we can transition the screen in and out and so on and so forth, and that's all declarative.
1: Yeah, I noticed um, that. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, so it's yeah. really easy. I mean, that's the kind of stuff, if you're going to uh, you know, do this kind of thing without a framework, you're going to write all that glue code to, okay, get this module. Now I've got to, okay, I've mapped it from this route. Now i got to get this module. Right. Okay, now I've got to get my view. Now i got to data bind them. Now i got to push it into the DOM. Oh, wait wait a minute. Uh, we don't just want it to pop in there. I mean, that's, maybe it's too... Uh, uh, jarring. So now we got to figure out how we're going to work animation into this whole thing. Right. Um, and so that's you know that's one of the things that's out of the box. And as I mentioned, that whole process of composition is actually the same way that modal dialog boxes work, the same way right. that composing fragments of a screen work, the same way that widgets work. You just create a module and you create a view.
1: So really, you're you're solving the sort of the navigation composition problem. Yes, that, that, that we don't have any and the modular problem that we don't have in JavaScript. Exactly. Yeah. But
0: modal dialogues make me sad.
2: <laughs> well, the the cool thing about modal dialogues in, in Durandal is that we ship with a, a default way of showing them, right. but it's completely pluggable. So uh, you can basically plug into the API at a certain point and say, well, I, I don't want to display like this. Blockout layer with this thing centered over top of it. I actually right. want to have a panel that slides out from the side, or slides down from the top, or
0: yeah, something toast can, or something like that.
2: Exactly, and you can plug that in without having to deal with any of the composition aspects. You basically get to take control of the animation and all the other pieces, and then you just hand us back. You know, here's the DOM node that you should put the final composed uh, piece into. Right. right. So you can plug in at that level, and we have people that have been doing that to do um, side uh, panels that slide out on desktop apps or on mobile apps to build the native um, sort of way that it would work on the particular phone and to plug that in so that, it, you know, on an iPhone, it plugs in the modal behavior for the iPhone, you know, however they interpreted that.
0: It's, um, it's like so. an interruption composition. Right. I like compose an interruption.
2: Exactly. Um, So, yeah, you can do that without having to worry about, you know, requiring the views, data binding, any of the composition, callback life cycles, worrying about whether the modal dialog uh, has permissions to be displayed or is allowed to be closed out or all that's handled at the infrastructure. You can just plug in that one little piece that says, well, actually, I want it to be sort of displayed using this paradigm,
0: you know. Right. Different ways to stack it up. I mean, it's funny. I, I really appreciate what you've done here, which is to bring that really interactive first-person UI into a browser. I'm just hoping you're not bringing the evil with it.
2: Trying not to. <laughs> you
0: know, that that's the battle, right? Is it? Uh, yes, there's some lovely things in the XAML world. There's also some horrible things.
2: Well, I mean, that's also kind of... I mean, just speaking of, uh, of me in particular building something like this, I mean... I had those things in my head. I mean, I I had kind of a a love-hate relationship with XAML. Right. So when I started to build Durandal, there were things that were going to be different on purpose, you know, because those things that were not, that were limitations or that just didn't work right because, you know, they were designed early on and then we figured out it was bad later. Uh, You know, like I said earlier, I wanted to learn from all that, not just the frameworks that people had built on top of XAML, but... But the way the, you know, the three or four different XAML implementations, (laughs) you know, we've got the Windows 8 stuff and the phone stuff and Silverlight and WPF. And there, in some ways, there are little differences. And in some Mm -hmm. ways, there were some big differences or some reimaginings, especially with Windows 8. So it was Mm -hmm. like, well, we had four different versions. Let me look over this and see, like, what was bad here across all the versions. Let's dare not do what... You know, never worked right. Um, so yeah, I hope hopefully didn't bring uh, too much of the evil in. But uh, you know, time time will tell. People seem to be really uh, very pleased that have been that have been using it. I've got a lot of positive feedback. Uh, even people that had never written JavaScript ever mm-hmm. uh, were excited by the possibility of of you know just. Sort of running on all these different devices, and
1: well that came that came to my mind too when I was thinking of this is that w- what a great opportunity to teach people JavaScript without having to teach them crappy stuff you know
2: right starting from the beginning, they're learning about modularization you know right. and these kinds of things so they're not going to run down some of the problems on the other hand, there are certain other uh, challenges uh, you know particularly me answering questions in the forums. Some, there's been some challenges where, uh, you know, people are, you know, just very, very green. Not everybody, but you know, the, a few sure. people are very, very green. They they have never written a line of JavaScript before. Yeah, and they're jumping in trying to build a very complex application. So, uh, so, but you know, it's it's a challenge. But I get to you know help them kind of learn through some of those, welcoming
0: them in, into the web world, right.
2: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and the more the merrier. Uh, I think our Google group is pretty um, very positive group. Uh, you know, I want people to come in and not feel um, you know embarrassed about a question or or feel uh, you know or or somebody in the in the forum to get mad at them because they just don't know X because they are, they just they should know it. You know. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, <laughs> yeah, but So we don't. try to keep and... a good
2: atmosphere in there, and I enjoy to. To teach and to share with people, anyway.
0: So, so how do you position Durandal relative to something like Angular JS?
2: So they're in the same they're in the same realm. I mean, there there's the other big players are basically Angular and Ember, and there are, you'll see some similar concepts between them, but there's there's some different twists and turns. I think you know when I built Durandal, I looked at what was out there and Angular and Ember were around in, in various forms, and they didn't, they, you know, at a purely aesthetic level, they both kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Right. Uh, that was my first kind of opinion. As I as I dug in different, different, I, you know, I saw some more concrete things. And Ember is very, for example, Ember is very um, centered around navigation and, and resources and a rest way of thinking about things, which definitely – makes sense in a lot of scenarios, but not every application. And so if you want to break out of that, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, Durandal has at its core a different set of abstractions, again, like modules and composition. And instead, it layers on top of that navigation. So if you want to build a navigation app, you've got it. But if you're building something that's more of a – maybe you're building a – a game or a mapping program, or maybe a dashboard where it's, or maybe there isn't really navigation or it doesn't make sense to handle it that way. Or maybe you're not targeting the browser at all. Maybe you're targeting the desktop and you've got, uh, maybe you want to build a tool that's sort of like Visual Studio, um, you know, some sort of productivity tool where hash based routing would be in the way, you know. Uh, so you don't have to. You know, in, in Ember, I think you would work a little bit harder to do that kind of a thing, whereas Durandal, you just would opt not to use the router. Right. And you'd still have the core compositional capabilities that the router was using um, to build your app up. Um, both, you know, both Ember and Angular have their own module system that is not based off of any kind of community standard. And... um and so you will see these blog posts out there, especially around Angular. you know how do I use RequireJS with Angular because what people are finding is that you know the inbuilt module systems just aren't meeting their real world needs uh, so I think Durandal kind of gets around that because we built on an extremely powerful flexible module system from the beginning mm. uh, I mean I think Durandal is easier um, to use and learn when i when I see both Ember and Angular code, I, I do see a lot. I still see a lot of framework level code in your app code. Right. And it's always kind of been my feeling that that should be very very minimal. So that in Durandal, most of the time it's not there at all. I mean, you've got your require um, your AMD wrapper, uh, but if you're using if you're using a language that compiles that away like TypeScript, you don't even have that. And then basically you just have JavaScript objects. Now, if you want to when you configure the router, yeah, the router object's there. Or if you want to show a, a modal dialog, well, then you want to bring in our service. You want to require our dialog service to show it. But for the most part, it's just um, you're just building JavaScript objects with properties and functions, and you're and you're building HTML views and you're data binding them together. I'm um, using some declarative composition, but uh, you know we try to get out of the way as much as possible, and I think. I think Durandal does that a little bit better. Um, I have I a. Think, uh, I think our docs are better. I think you know we've got uh, some. We've got commercial support, which neither of the other libraries have. So
1: I just have a. I have a quick question about routing. And uh, from what you said before, you said that if you have a route set up for you know slash home, let's say you've created home.js, and you'll automatically look for home.html. Is that something that is convention based? Do you have to create a route for that, or are routes only do you only need to configure routes if they don't match a convention?
2: Uh, well, by default you need to configure the routes, but there's a hook in the router where you can plug in, and we will give you the raw data. So we'll we'll give you the route fragment, we'll give you the pre parsed query string, and the pre and various other things. Okay, and then we'll say you tell us. What uh? What module this should be so you can effectively write a convention to run the entire router so that you never have to map any routes at all if you want to do that. Um,
1: now uh, wait a second. Where is this running? Is it on the server?
2: No, it's running in the client. Okay, so-
1: now hold on. <laughs> you have a router running in the client where you can hook. You can hook the uh, the HTTP client.
2: So what happens is when the hash changes okay. in the in the browser, uh, Durandal's router infrastructure watches all that and detects it. Okay. And we do all the the dirty work of that, and we do all the dirty work of composing the page and and doing all the required JS to load stuff and data binding and ever everything like that. Mm. But if you want to create a a convention based router, there's one little API you can call, and you can pass in a function. And you fit into the puzzle right at the right spot, where after we've already de- detected the change and parsed out the data, we'll just hand you the data and say, please just tell us the module ID that represents the page that okay. you want to show. And you can return that, and then we'll go use require and get its view and data bind and blah, blah, blah. I
1: guess. So you could just essentially hook one little piece of code, and then you've got, you know, if somebody goes hash home, then they're going to get hash uh, home HTML and home JS.
2: Yep. You could uh, We could wire that convention up, uh, and I think I even, I can't remember actually, but I'm pretty sure I actually have an API for that scenario where you don't even have to pass in the function where it will assume that the hash pattern maps directly to the uh, structure of your app. Yeah. Um, so you can, with like a single function call, enable that scenario. You have to be careful about that though, I mean, uh, because... That means people can type whatever they want in the hash and start bringing in modules that maybe you didn't intend yeah, to right. actually be displayed. So, so it's really not the kind of thing you want to use so much. But you can create your own convention where you limit, you know, uh, and do that, and then you don't have to. If you've got a huge app, for example, then you don't have to map all the all the routes out. You could just use a basic convention.
1: All right. So I got a kind of. Related, unrelated question, but this is this is always something that I like to ask guys like you because you've been a .NET developer for you know a long time and then got into JavaScript and you know people like Rocky Lotka bang the drum about you know pretty soon there will be no C sharp everything will be JavaScript right and uh <laughs> so I want to ask you you know after writing in JavaScript is there stuff that is you still wish you had the .NET framework for and can it be written in javascript and uh you know with all these javascript frameworks are they doing an adequate job or is there still a long way to go
2: uh well i mean it's getting better and better every day there are still issues i mean if anyone if you dig around for a while you'll see you know for example um you have to be very, very careful about memory management in in the JavaScript realm because the garbage collector's behavior is not really like, it's not defined. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there's not some of the things you have in the .NET realm that you can use to tweak that. Um, you can't... Uh, so when you, you say know, be
1: careful, you really mean uses the least amount of memory that you possibly can.
2: I mean, you have to think about it even more than... I mean, you you still have to think about it in .NET, right? But uh, but you don't have to think about it like you do in C .Right. But in JavaScript, you have to think about it more than you do in .NET, and mm. I, and a lot of people right now are not thinking about it at all. Right. Um, so that's definitely a big limitation, and there and there's limitations, and that's being worked on, and some of it's happening at the uh, library level to help out with that in the future and whatnot. But that's that's a problem. I mean. Um, the language itself still has its quirks and, and frustrating points. I think TypeScript and things like TypeScript and CoffeeScript are actually doing a lot of work to make that side of it better. Mm. I mean, I don't think .NET's going to go away at all. I'm I'm still, you know, I'm right now. I've got a side project. I'm building like a, a community uh, website thing for, and it's you know, I'm doing it all in NBC. Yeah. I'm not using Durandal at all for that project. it doesn't even it doesn't actually make sense at all. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's going away. Uh, I think one of the I mean JavaScript's kind of interesting because it has this it has this quality that you can interpret good or bad depending on sort of your perspective and the kind of person you are, which is that JavaScript has virtually no standard library at all, mm. and you could see that as great, we get to build you know, we can build whatever we want and, you know, we don't have to sort of, like, be constrained by the way said entity or says to do it. Uh, on the other hand, you could say, like, man, we've got to build everything ourselves, you know? <laughs> Which is, uh, right. you know, uh, and I toggle, actually, personally, I toggle back and forth between those two because there are certain things that should be in a standard library that, that aren't, like, Problems that are solved in C# Sharp. we've pretty much we've really gone a long way in terms of solving, or improving. I won't say solving, but improving asynchronous programming in C# Sharp yeah. with async await and tasks, and it's coming along in JavaScript with promises. But there's but the promise is not uh, spec isn't implemented in the standard library. That's sort of part of JavaScript. So you have different libraries out there like jQuery. Uh, has a promise spec implementation and you have a Q mm. and then there's a Q spelled with a K-E-W and there's a few different libraries and they all sort of try to implement the spec, but sometimes they do something that isn't quite right or that they add something. And so you end up getting unknowingly getting tied to one promise library. And one of the whole points of the spec is that if you use somebody else's JavaScript library that Uses promises, it ought to be interchangeable. You know, a library that uses promises ought to be able to work with B library that uses promises, and you end up actually running into into problems with that mm-hmm. um, because you know something as fundamental as this idea of the promise or you know a, an asynchronous task or something like that is not really part of the language itself, and th- there's just little things like that that are that are problematic. So it's coming along. I mean, I don't really see. .NET going away at all. I, I, I I love writing C sharp code and I, and I hope that they continue to, I still have my list of, uh, of features for C sharp. And because Anders working on the typescript team, I'm kind of hoping that, you know, maybe some of the ideas that are pretty nice in typescript that would make sense for C sharp. Maybe they'll make their way over there, you know? And, um, uh, so, so,
1: so Rob, what's on what's in your inbox? What's what's next for you?
2: Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time working on Durandal in terms of uh, putting a business model around it. It's uh, you know, it's free and open source software, but obviously, I would love to uh, find a way to work on it all day long. Um, so. Sure. I'm doing a lot of things, and I've got some interesting ideas around that. I can't go into super details about, except that I think that it will be really interesting from a community perspective. Um, um, working on, you know, future versions of Durandal, We've got um, some features coming, and particularly in tooling that I think are going to be really cool because we've got a, a tool called Wayland, which is a build is a build tool basically that it uses RequireJS's optimizer to build your your output file, but kind of automates a few other pieces and makes it even easier. And, and we're going to be extending that tooling to do things like um, say Wayland new project and spit out a new project, or mm-hmm. to scaffold to add things like scaffolding. Uh, So like you want to build a widget, you can just scaffold your widget infrastructure or you want a modal dialog, scaffold that out or just a component or whatever. And we've got some other things that are coming in that as well that are going to be built in to just enhance uh, at at development time. Things like, for example, uh, imagine if every time you saved your HTML file, it dynamically updated inside of your running web app in the browser without needing to refresh, without losing state. Any of those wow. kinds of things. So that's uh, you know that's not here yet, but it's uh, it's in the works, and I think that's going to be some really cool stuff. Because from a productivity standpoint, that's uh, you know th- stuff like that is a is a real game changer. Um, uh, so we're working on tooling, we're working on training, we're working on just raw framework level features. Uh, probably maybe even a new view engine. A lot of people don't realize that. Durandal's view engine, so to speak, is pluggable. Everybody just uses HTML and knockout bindings. But right. um, from version 1, it's actually been a completely pluggable component. You could uh, write your own view engine with whatever syntax you want and drop it in, and it would still be able to participate in the build process for optimization and everything. Um, so we're probably going to have a, a little bit nicer view engine um, and some, just you know, some other cool things like that. Maybe, cool. Maybe some commercial components on top of it. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, all right, I'm keeping well, busy.
1: I, th- <laughs> I think that's a show. It's congratulations. It looks great. I can't wait to get my hands on it.
2: Thanks. Hope you have fun.
1: All right, Rob. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. What's got, what's Thanks for listening, and remember. Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production... Go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got